Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And on today's episode, we have two people from the amazing company, Beetle and Grimms, talking all about how to introduce worlds. A couple things before that, though. As you can tell, we are getting dangerously close to our 200th episode. And keep an eye out on all of our social media where we're going to be asking you, the listeners, to ask us questions. DM Mitch, DM Chris, and myself will basically have an AMA hosted by some people that you may know. Also, if you're a patron dragon and you are gold or higher, you can keep an eye out for a special Eberron character that I have made that I've played, that I love, and I'm gonna have it all statted out, lore, everything you could ask for, so that you could drop it in your own Eberron game or any game you see fit. But with that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. So today for the meet, we're going to be talking all about introducing your players to existing worlds. And I have two people that I'm very excited to talk about because I feel like they're going to have some great ideas for us. And it is John and Charlie of Beetle and Grimms. John and Charlie, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Great ideas I'm not sure about, but we'll do our best. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. That's the joy of podcasting and editing. We could have a bunch of bad ones and you tell me which ones to get rid of and people never know they happen. <laughs> I wish life worked that way. That'd be great. Oh, you're preaching to the choir right now. Uh, so as we do with all of our guests, we're going to jump into a little bit of an interview section. And the first one we always do is, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, long walks on the beach, or really just anything you think our listeners would be interested in? John, you go first. Okay. Yep. I, uh, I work, uh, with, uh, with a bunch of my very good friends at Beetle and Grimm's Pandemonium Warehouse. We're the ones that do the platinum and gold and silver editions of different Wizards of the Coast campaigns. Uh, I have an eight-year-old daughter who has asked me to teach her how to play D&D, but she's not quite ready yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold that off a little while longer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, let's see. Uh, I love writing. I love storytelling. Uh, I once won Wheel of Fortune, uh, but I did that with my wife, and I credit her for that. <laughs> Wisely. That is amazing. Yes. And uh, most importantly, in my 20s, I lived with my business partner, Matthew Lillard, in New York, and it screwed me up for the rest of my life. In the best way possible, it sounds. Yes, of course. Oh, yes, of course. So much for having me follow you. That was, that's, uh... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is Charlie. Um, I, I, too, am one of the, the misfits at Beetle and Grimm. My day job is uh, director of software engineering at a small company here. I have a 17-year-old who has just finished her college applications. Now we're in the, uh, the waiting period, which is stressful. Yeah, so I've, I'm you know lifelong gamer. Um, I have a master of arts in creative writing as well as doing software engineering. So I too like to write, and I'm just you know thrilled to death that we're all 
at a point in our lives where we can do this and do something that's that's fun and speaks to uh, things that we love and allows us to connect uh, with people like you and other people who like the game. So it's just been a, it's been a blast. Definitely, and I I mean I will speak for many that the work you guys are doing is amazing. The I bought the silver edition for Saltmarsh because that was the module that originally got me into D&D 20 years oh, ago. Cool. And so when I switched over very recently to start that campaign, um the person that had originally ran it for me 20 years ago st- is still at my table and he handed me over that original copy of the Sinister Secrets of Saltmarsh like right as we started the campaign. So That's cool. Thank I I can't thank you enough. But maybe there's even more fun stuff that is on the way. And that'll lead us to our question number two. Is there anything you are currently working on? And I know I have to throw this caveat out that you are allowed to talk about. <laughs> yeah, let's uh let's let's talk about what we are allowed to talk about, which is uh and we just got done with Avernus, which is uh out now, but we're our next one is going to be a little different for us. It's gonna be uh, another box set, but Rather than adventure, it's going to be a box set for the Eberron sourcebook, which just, I think, just came out uh, end of November, Rising from the Last War. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're super excited about that. We're going to do the, you know, the same kinds of stuff that we've been doing, you know, handouts, maps, jewelry. Uh, but it is, like I said, it's a little different. It's like a bit of a challenge for us because it's not, usually an adventure tells you pretty much what we need to do, right? We need to, you know, there are battles that we need maps for and particular pieces of jewelry, but since Eberron is such a big thing, we're trying to focus more on just giving the DM lots of cool tools that they can use for for different adventures wherever their characters want to go in this vast world. Yeah, and what's so cool about this world, you know, this world is so unique. And one of our sort of North Stars for this project has been, let's provide items that are uniquely Eberron something that you're not going to find in another campaign, in another box set. And that's been really exciting. Yeah, I, I can. I don't envy you. I, I'm excited because I have every intention of purchasing this product, but I do not envy you as the ones to figure out exactly what it is to boil down the essence of Eberron and present that to people. Because like you said, it is it is so vast, but I feel like... If we're being honest, you're already coming out with great ideas to the topic we're going to get to. But before we get there, I'm going to hit you with a surprise question as we do with all of our guests. And this week's surprise question comes from one of our patrons and it comes from Mindweave RPG. So who is your favorite historical figure and what class would they be? Hmm. Who is my favorite historical figure? Bigger. Boy, these are tough. God, I'm sure you want that. Yeah, this, these are tough ones. I was listening last week, or and uh, there was a who, who would you want to play D? What philosopher would you want to play D and D with? And that's that's a tough mm-hmm. one too. Well, I mean, it would be fun to take to take you know a historical uh, military mind like Caesar or or um, you know the, the Carthaginian generals and 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 play war games with them. Or but I think they would they would all be fighters. Boy, that's so funny because I went, I almost went directly to Caesar myself, <laughs> but, but, hey. but I went assassin class and not fighter. <laughs> nice. All, all I can picture him is, you know, giving the thumbs down and, and ordering the deaths of his <laughs> subjects. 
Well, how, who would who would Cardinal Richelieu be? He's not my favorite historical figure, but he's an interesting one. So, what what class do you put him in? Oh, he's got to be cleric, right? Cleric, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, sort of a bent paladin, maybe. I don't know. You would go cleric, but then figuring out exactly which domain would fit well. Yeah, like make him a multi-class. <laughs> Ooh, well, that's would be interesting. We've already made poor Caesar an assassin. I think I think that that'll that'll do us. But um so we just want to thank Mindweave RPG again for putting that question and thanks both of you for answering yeah, it. Yeah, how about how but, about a softball question next time? Okay, how about we jump straight into uh, no, none of the by the way, none of the surprise questions are like softball. Our patrons do not mess around at all. Well, uh, what's fav- killing me is that in a half an hour I'm gonna go, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what I should have done. Brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we'll jump right into our topic of introducing existing worlds. And I think you, you had already kind of started the conversation and in a way rewritten the the question I want to ask better than I wrote it. Because I wrote down what makes a world special. But I think the way you presented what you're already doing with the Eberron book in saying what makes a world unique is a is an even better way to start looking at that question. So I'll throw that out there. Maybe how were you approaching that specifically with Ebron and how other people could approach other pre-written material or even their homebrew worlds of how do you find what makes that world unique so that you can present it to your to your players at your table? Yeah, I mean Charlie, I'll jump in if 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 you're good. Go for um, it. You know, I have to say my way in to a new world has always been through maps. The, the map for me, when, when I've started a new world, it's always been with a map. And when I've gotten excited about getting into a new world, it has usually started with the map. Uh, when I see a map that has world locations that make me go, oh man, I want to visit that. I want to see that. I want to explore that. That, to me, is what makes a new campaign or a new world super exciting. And, you know, when I look at Eberron, for example, there are at least half a dozen parts of that world that I look at and say, oh, if I'm running in that campaign, I've got to visit that. I can't wait to see that. And that's what has made you know, in, in our work on Eberron, working on the campaign map has been a priority for us because we know that that's so important and so special as part of introducing that world. That's an amazing answer. I have lots of thoughts, but uh, Charlie, what like what are your thoughts on that question? Well, I, I think for me, it's I, I do love maps. Let's start with that. I, I do love that, and I think that's a that is a great answer for it. And Eberron certainly has a lot of uh, a lot of places that you look at and go, ooh, I need to, I need to check that out. But for me, for, for a new world, you know, I, what I'm looking at is how the new world wants to change or wants to direct the play style, I think, and, and sort of use that as a way to, to guide how you want to reveal the world and how you want to treat the, the, treat the new world for the characters. I mean, one, one of the things that Eberron has really emphasized is, is less of the sort of dungeon crawl stuff to a you know more of an intrigue and an investigation and a sort of a noir look and they're very explicit about that and they set their world up 
uh, in such a way that it really feeds into that. And that's, that's the fun thing for me for this new world. So that it, it encourages a different play style and the world is set up for that. Yeah, I, I, I love that answer. It, I mean, just because a new and unique world definitely can set an entirely different tone to a campaign. And uh, what, what Charlie said about Eberron with it being very noir and, and a little more investigative is uh, really dead on. And I think both of those work hand in hand. And I guess I just feel dumb. Like the map idea is the best, is is such a straightforward idea because everyone is going to look at that map. I, we'll say every DM is going to look at a map, especially in a pre-written world, be it Forgotten Realms, be it Eberron, be it all of these other things and see something that speaks to them. The best part about that is when you see that, be it a country, be it a river, be it a town, one of two things happens with a pre-written world. You either find a ton of information or you find no information. And both of those are great as a DM (laughs) because one, (laughs) you can, you already have a lot to work off of, or two, you know that you get to write that story and then going hand in hand, finding out what the world means because you could look at the map and you could see just dungeon after dungeon or ruin after ruin. And you, you kind of know what you're going to get into, or you see these giant suburban areas because you have Sharn or something like it on the map, taking up this massive amount of space. And now you start to think differently and of what kind of campaigns you could have happen. And I want to go back to the part where I, somebody was acting like they weren't going to have great ideas. And I think you're already wrong. So <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I mean, I sort of getting into the, the, how do you present this to the characters then is, you know, like, like John says, a map is a great place to start, but for something like, you know, for, for Eberron as well is there are so many complexities, you know, geopolitical complexities, the way magic works, the way even alignments work, which is a little, I mean, mechanically alignments work the same, but you could have come across a red dragon. That's lawful good. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge for a DM, I think, to, to say, what, what do I need to explain to the characters going in and what can they just find out? You know, some things are definitely secrets that a DM wants to keep close to his vest, I would think, or her vest would be the, you know, what happened in the morning, you know, what, what is going on in Moreland is going to happen again. And then other things that, you know, you can, you could just show the characters rather than, than having to explain to them that there are, yes, in this world, there are airships. Well, just have the first adventure, you chase somebody onto an airship. There you go. But that's, that's a, that's a tough one because boy, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn in Eberron. And so many of the adventures could really hinge on how well you understand the, you know, historical strife between Cronus and, and Thane or, or Anduin and Thane, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. You definitely don't want to overload your players in that initial session, right? You don't want that initial session to just be a massive history lesson. So I, you know, I always love to try to start with what is personal to their character. What do they know about their history and their, their local environment? What's personal? What, what, what is high stakes for them? And then allow it to grow from there and just, you know, peel away the layers as they go. And Eberron's great for that because, I mean, there's so many of the, you know, the cities and, and the war that's been going on. It's crammed a lot of disparate people together in big cities like Sharn. So 
it's easy to sort of start people who have a little bit of history of the whole place and, and, and push them together into a party. Again, so so many good ideas, but I, I love the idea of also figuring out what pieces of the world would your players know? As John, you were mentioning, that's a great place to start because do they know, are they all from the town you're kicking this off in? Is everyone in Sharn? So now they know everything about it. The same could be, is everyone from this tiny village? Right. And that represents mm-hmm. their knowledge base as well. The sphere of influence that they work in could be extremely small, which could be very beneficial as a DM because then you don't need to know very much. But they could also have traveled from a faraway land. And now they kind of know everything between here and there and figuring out. But even with that, like you said, what is important, though? Yeah. And look, I mean, I, I'm, you know, practically and it, from a practical standpoint, some of that's going to be driven by how prepared you are as a DM. I mean, if I'm, if I'm super prepared and have done a ton of work on the world, I may be comfortable starting my campaign right in the big city of Sharn. But if I'm not quite as prepared, I can have my characters start as small town folk, like you just said, Neil. In this small little town, they don't know very much about the world, and they will learn more as they go, and it will give me as a DM more time to reveal that as I learn more and more, and as I become more and more immersed in the world. So that, that's going to be a driver as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Cognitive load on the DM is a thing. Right. And, there, and there's certainly, there's a huge benefit to, I mean, one of the big pushes we have here at the Dungeon Masters block is having your homebrew world. But we also fully understand that, like you're mentioning, cognitive load is, is an entirely different thing. As someone who works a full-time job, has a three and a five-year-old, I have a tendency <laughs> to lean towards things that already right. exist. Um, yeah. And but but with that also comes the intrinsic value, the nostalgia, because some of these worlds have existed for decades. And so being able to look into exactly what you need to know certainly has its benefits rather than needing to come up with everything as it comes at you, depending on when your players zig when you thought they were going to zag. But being able to look all of those things up in a wiki or online somewhere is also a gr- is a great thing to have at your <laughs> at your disposal like you said in case you don't want that cognitive load to uh be a little bit too much yeah i mean it, it, it's um uh, i i run homebrew as well at last the last one i did i very consciously kind of what john said is, is because i didn't want to for a couple of reasons one i didn't want to have to sketch out every nook and cranny of the world but also just to force people together and sort of get that, oh, we all meet at a tavern, who's that guy in the corner stuff out of the way, is just have all the characters start knowing each other and in a position, you know, in, a, in the same situation to start with. So that they, they, share a, uh, they share a background and can kind of look and discover this new world at the same time and together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of running Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I'm, I'm finishing it up right now. And I've got to tell you, when I first read that, I felt really intimidated by how much was there and how open it was. But now that I've run it, it has become the thing that most excites me, is how open it is. 
and how much detail there is. And it's something that I feel like my players have have really uh, appreciated that 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 they they really feel like that there's a world going on around them that they're not necessarily the center of the universe and that their actions have consequences outside of their little sphere and 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 did I know every single sentence of waterdeep and but when I first started running it Absolutely not. But the more I run it, the more I know and the more I'm able to open up the world and the more exciting it's become. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, speaking back to the idea of existing worlds. And I know Mitch has had his homebrew world for a long time. And so you start to see those same things, the ability to know more and kind of watch those dominoes fall as certain things happen. And that goes back to the ability, like you said, working in Waterdeep or in Sharn or uh, we keep using big cities, but even, even countries work the same way that your, your players do X, Y, and Z. Well, that's going to affect all of these other people and all of these other things are going to happen. And so you can start to look up what that would be and think of what those dominoes would be as they fall. And the other thing with those, the second you introduce, this is just a random thing and we can go off of it, but the second you introduce your characters to an existing world, like Eberron, the choices that they make will change Eberron around them. And there's a convenience with that as well of presenting a different version of Eberron. Because if we're all being honest, there's definitely someone that's read every book that's ever been written and knows everything that's ever been thought, um, short of being Keith Baker himself. And (laughs) those, but being able to change things so that it still feels like Eberron or wherever, but fresh to the players is something you also want to try and do. Yeah, absolutely. I I love putting a a spin on a monster that is in a core rule book that the the player that knows everything about that monster is not expecting. That's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. Yeah, we hate that about you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Going to have to work some stuff out here on air, I see. No, it's... Well, at least you don't have to worry about that with my magic items since I don't give out any. That's true. That's true. That's true. (laughs) That would be just too confusing. (laughs) So one of the other questions I had that we haven't talked too much, but what are some specific things that we think dungeon masters should probably hide? It's a, it's a kind of a weird way to say that, but things that they should know, but they shouldn't necessarily present up front. I know we touched on it a little bit. Well, you know, I mean, the obvious answer, I guess, is just anything they plan on using later. I mean, the Eberron has a few core mysteries, you know, and again, Eberron is an example, but, you know, the the core mystery there is what happened in the morning, you know, what is going on in the Mornland. And the the longer you hold on to that, that secret, the more tales you can spin out of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I agree. And, and like like any great storytelling, right? Uh, Things need to build. So you want to provide enough information to get your players in. You want to hook them and you want them involved. Uh, You don't want to, you don't want to withhold too much so that they're totally clueless as to what's going on. But yet you want to withhold that big reveal that's going to have so much more impact five sessions from now when they see all of the 
different ramifications of what that reveal, you know, has had on the world. It's, it's one thing to reveal something when you've seen one effect of that reveal. It's another thing to, to show that reveal after the players have seen five different things that it has impacted in the world. So it's, you know, it's all part of uh, telling a great story. I think that's a great, I mean, a great point too. And just that you want them to have as much stake in it as you can before the reveal. So rather than, you know, hear stories about, you know, mutated creatures or, or weird ghosts in the moorland actually have seen them or to have seen Colossus or, you know, the, to, to have as much table stakes in it before the actual reveal happens. Yeah, I think that goes well back to the piece of finding out what's important to the players, but then finding out what those layers are behind it and figuring out what those are, but then saving those for later. I mean, a a very heavy-handed classic would be like, oh, my parents died, but I don't know why. And now I, as the DM, have figured out why, but not being like, well, this is what, you know, in session zero, well, this is why. I, I mean... Things like that. Yeah, and it's a personal stake is always huge. Yeah, and I, I will say that in my too many years to mention of DMing, <laughs> one of the things that I've, I feel like I've learned is specifically recently, I've decided to, to err on the side of revealing more. Uh, I've, I've found that when I've revealed less, well, first of all, when I reveal more, my players don't always even remember it. <laughs> Speak about anybody in particular. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I often have to reveal something two or three times in order for it to stick, anyway. And so, uh, you know, to, to really get my players invested, I, I have found that recently I've I've erred on the side of revealing more and not less in order for them to be able to see how different things connect. Because as a DM, that's what's very exciting to me in an intricate story is to see how everything connects. And if the player, if I'm the only one who knows that and my players never get to see or experience that, then it's kind of a waste. So I've, I've, I've recently been saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give them more information than maybe I originally thought and let them really sort of soak it in and enjoy it. I think you're just a practical concern too, is, you know, just how, as far as, as to John's point is, how often are you playing with these people? You know, is this a week to week thing where, where all the intricacies are sort of going to be at the top of people's heads or is it going to be every three months? Not to make excuses for us, but you know, that was certainly, John had always had a little time to, to spin us back up to where we were because we would play every three, four, five, six months. Yeah. And I think going back to, I mean, both of you presenting writing degrees, the the thought that came to my head is the rule of three mm. and often t- presenting things multiple times so that you don't feel one. There's a John, like you're saying, there's just a better chance that your players are going to see it and know it's coming. But the idea of only presenting something once and then having that reveal, like you were mentioning early, Charlie, there's not that payoff. Like you, right. you haven't invested the time like to basically get that payoff. So uh, yeah, the rule of three, try it out. <laughs> right. For you folks following at home, three. Yes. So the other question I have, do we have any specific examples and good, bad, or ugly of ways that we've introduced 
characters to worlds. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, this this home this homebrew one that I'm running is kind of weird, but I, I did, and it's I've well, it's two things. One was I, um, I I did you know send people a couple pages of just what the what their background was, what their immediate area is, where they fit into it, and sort of a a legend of the world that they're in. But I'd I'd put everybody in a pretty pretty tight silo, so it was easy to sort of control what they knew and what they didn't know. Um, but it also just kind of launched them into it. They were immediately had to do something. So it was a, it was, and, and what they had to do revealed other ways the world worked. So, uh, and that's, that was one way I was, one way I have done it as, a, as an example. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the email to my players as a shortcut. You know, I went, whenever I launch a new world or a new campaign, I love to do that. I love to email them a bunch of information that they can, on their time, read and study and come to the table with so that, you know, we can jump right in when we get to the table and and I don't have to spend half the night laying that foundation for what their character knows and, and a little bit about their history. Uh, but, you know, every, every DM has a different style. I, I, I always remember my my older brother always used to start every game. He would just he would just dive right in. He would just start talking as one of the NPCs. You had no idea where you were or what was going on. You had to figure it out as you went as he kept sort of talking and revealing things as he went. And you know, that was sort of exhilarating. Uh it was it was a little discombobulating, but uh, that was his style and and you know, it's it's valid. Definitely. I mean, one of the things I like saying is like, sit down at the table and the first thing I say is roll for initiative (laughs) and uh, definitely keeps the players on their toes and is is a way to start. But Charlie, you, you mentioned it and John, I think it speaks to how you're mentioning it as well is having a campaign primer Mm -hmm. or a world primer is definitely a great way to go. And honestly, that's kind of something I would suggest in general, if you're looking at ways of trying to how to introduce a new world one is searching that those two that those two words and whatever world you're trying to introduce uh and not reinvent the world not re not reinvent the world by that i mean the wheel <laughs> as often people will have created campaign primers or world primers for things that already exist but if it's your homebrew world figuring out what that looks like also helps you as the dm to better figure out kind of all the things that we've been talking about, like what makes your world unique? What kind of adventures are you expecting to put in this world? And it'll help maybe even solidify what that world means to you so that you can present it to your players. On With the primer, the voice that you use in the primer is also going to say a lot about that world. You know, I love the fact that the, the primer for Waterdeep is written by Volo. And you can imagine that a primer for Eberron would have a completely different tone. And, you know, we're doing some player handouts in our Eberron box that uh, Charlie has been instrumental in, in helping to write and create the tone for that's, that's really fun and different and unique and, and part of that world. And so, you know, if you're going to do a primer, you know, do it in the voice of of a you know fictional character take a take a lesson from wizards of the coast and do something fun like that because it can really help the the flavor and the tone 
Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, just the, the act of, of explaining it to somebody else. I mean, you can spend all these hours creating your own little world where you're basically talking to yourself. But then when you explain it to somebody else, it's a great check to see, you know, what's important and what's, what isn't important. You know, what's interesting and what isn't. Like I said, shame on you guys for thinking you wouldn't have great ideas. These are a, a ton of great ideas. And I well, the one that I'm using right now with this product by this great company called Beetle and Grimm's, it's the uh, silver edition of Secrets of Saltmarsh, is having the player, that was a shameless plug for you guys. Um, Nothing shameless about the, it. <laughs> no, but having my players choose which background they want. And so this is more of a fifth edition thing. But so now they've chosen the background. How does that tie in? In what way does it connect directly to the story I want to tell to the world that they exist in? And so that is written out in the in the adventure so I can do that more easily. But that's another way to specifically introduce your players to the world because 5th edition has that at your disposal. It's a thing they're going to choose. So if they're a hermit, where have they been sequestering themselves? And are there any, is there anyone that they interact with or do they just have a better understanding of the nature surrounding them because that's just where they are all the time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, in, in each of our boxes, we, we provide a set of pre-generated characters and we are very tactical about the backgrounds and the histories that we give those characters so that there are specific emotional and high stakes hooks into the campaign that we know is going to unfold, right? We're not just giving a random background. We're, 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 we're giving backgrounds and, and, and hopefully giving DMs ideas on how to give their characters that hook, that emotional and high stakes way into what's going to be happening in the world. And uh, DMs that can help their players do that are really getting off to a great start and, and, and helping themselves out. It will, then, like you said, looking towards what the bigger companies are doing when they want to a approach it, because the, the whole essence behind what they're doing, and this will be probably my two business degrees trying to talk, but like they're trying to market this to as many people as possible. So they're trying to make the content work and speak to as many people as possible. So seeing how they do it and tailoring it to the people you have sitting in front of you, because oftentimes as DMs, we are that connective tissue between the people at our table. We know them all from different avenues and we're bringing them together, but that's just it. We know that each person is different and we might even know why. So then taking kind of this framework that Wizards or other larger companies is using to present it to the masses and tailoring that back down to exactly who's sitting in front of you is definitely a great way to go. Yeah, it's a trick, but it's it's uh, it's definitely the, the the way to do it. Neil, I I feel like you've played. I I feel like you've gamed before. <laughs> um, uh, a couple it, times. I, it, uh, I, I'm you just didn't getting like... the sense that you've you've gamed a few times before. Yeah, you uh, you didn't like sharing your numbers, and I don't <laughs> like sharing mine. So uh, 
Yes, I've been around, and I mean, listener, longtime listeners know I've been around long enough that the people that introduced me to D and D are at my table, and so are their adult sons now. Oh wow! So, nice. Yeah, so I've got I've got that whole that whole thing going on. One of one of the other questions I always like asking, and I always like referring to it this way, is what kind of homework do we have for people as good examples of how to introduce a world? Things that people could read, that people could watch, that just anything that kind of demonstrates the topic that we're talking about. It's funny. I think there's actually a lot of really fun homework right now because this is in this sort of golden age of TV right now. There's a lot of shows, you know, His Dark Materials. Uh, watchmen that are are doing exactly that. They are slowly revealing very complex worlds and kind of, you know, for some of them do it better than others, but it, it's kind of a class on that to watch those shows is how do you reveal? What do you hold on to? When do you share it? What's important? What tone is important? That, that would be my, and they're kind of fun. Yeah. And this is probably a lame answer, but I'm going to state the obvious and say, have you read the Dungeon Master's Guide? Because (laughs) I'm always fascinated by how many DMs have never read it. And believe it or not, there's a lot of really good instructional information on how to run a successful campaign. Uh, So, you know, don't overlook it. Uh, And uh, obviously there's tons of great stuff on D&D Beyond. Um, I'm, I'm always on there looking for new ideas and, and trying to read something that changes the way that I look at my game. If you haven't, and this is, I guess, I mean, you guys are really pulling out some very general advice I have for people. Um, <laughs> if you pick up a book, it's always best to read it cover to cover. Um, I mean, specifically in the in, in what we're talking about and reading the Dungeon Master's Guide from cover to cover, because that's honestly, that's the way every book was written. And that was more often than not the way every book is intended to be read. All of that sounds really straightforward, but I know, and I'm, I guess I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else, is that I have a tendency not to do that. But you really don't know what's on that next page until you get there. And so going, like you said, going through page by page and pulling these things out of the Dungeon Master's Guide that help you either run better, come up with new ideas or anything, I think is great. That is not your bad idea either. Come on now, great ideas are all you got. <laughs> the one I'll throw out there is the comic called Die, D-I-E. And basically it's about this really interesting RPG story that I don't want to tell too much about, but each person was given a die and they enter a world. And the way that that world is introduced is staggering and so, so good. And so I would say that because there are so many different comic books out there, picking up an issue one and seeing what that gives to you be it bad or good, can definitely help shape how you want to introduce your own world because now you're seeing how people are introducing worlds and characters time and time again because you have a first issue sitting in front of you. Okay, you just you just put something on my homework list. I, I now I've yeah. gotta go read this die. Yeah. Oh, you had oh, it's absolutely amazing. And yes, you one hundred percent have to read it. They're literally given magical dice and then transported into a world. That's fun. 
it's it's so so good it gets really dark out the out of the gate and yes everyone go read that <laughs> you included Sold. so i have I have one final question, and I feel it's always my most important question. Where can people go to see all the amazing stuff you guys are doing? Uh, Beetleandgrims.com. And follow us on Twitter, uh, whatever that is. We're too old to really understand it, but uh, we hear that's a thing. (laughs) Word on the street is. And, uh, yeah, join our mailing list, and we'll, uh, we'll bother you now and then. Yeah, for sure. Our website's the best place to go. Like Charlie said, it's uh, beetleandgrims.com. When you go on there, you know, you're try not to get too baffled by the goblins that are running that website. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, There are some, you know, some, some, there's some craziness there, but just try and try and get through that and you'll, you'll, you'll have some fun. Definitely. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. I think we also can have a link to a YouTube video of John being on Wheel of Fortune because that's the power of the Oh, no, no, no. Yes. If you want to do a YouTube video, if you want to do a YouTube video, you must connect to Matthew Lillard's unboxing, his his rock and roll unboxing of the Avernus box that he just did with his rock guitarist. That is something that you really should be linking to. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have both. We'll see. Oh, God. Uh, sorry. that The internet has, has power for good and yes. evil. But with that, John, Charlie, I just want to thank you again for spending some time with us and, again, having great ideas on how to introduce people to new worlds. And we definitely want to have you guys come back on at some point. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, man. It was a ton of fun. I just want to thank John and Charlie again for spending some time with us talking about how they kind of break down worlds, find what's important, and how to introduce them. Hopefully, you've taken a lot away from it. And if you want to tell us how you've introduced worlds to your players, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Of course, if you see fit, head on over to Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Leave a five-star review, which we'll read on air. If you want to follow us and get updates and, like I said, that information on how to ask us anything, you can always follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. And of course, you can like us on Facebook. As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Geek Wars, DMnastics, Detentions and Dragons, and more. But that's all we have for the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And keep on Dungeon Mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. To boost realism when playing Descent into Avernus, set your thermostat to 90 degrees. Goodbye.